So I heard that the Seattle Design Festival was coming up. And when I first heard that there was a Seattle Design Festival, I pictured a bunch of super designy architects with crazy haircuts and trendy shirts all sitting in a circle and saying super complicated, meaningless design words. And then like saying OM for 30 minutes. And like <laughs> My first impulse was just like, oh my gosh, this is going to be just like school. This is all what I wanted to avoid. But then I looked into it a little more and learning about it, it's so much more inclusive and there's none of that crazy double speak it's just really accessible we like when we started this podcast one of the biggest hurdles we had was people don't generally sit around and talk about design who aren't already designers <laughs> it just seems like nobody does they just they're either intimidated by it or what is out there is written by designers for designers and when I first heard about the festival I just thought it was really cool that at least for a week or two it's open to everyone and it's very inclusive you don't have to wear all black and wear architect glasses to no, attend. No, you do not. You do not. Uh, maybe you'll get like a special pass. What if it, <laughs> that's like the fast pass. It's like if you wear all black and you yeah. put on like core glasses, they're like, oh, sir, over here in the TSA pre-check line uh-huh. for, for a Seattle Design Festival. <laughs> and say things like meta-exegetic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's something that's very cool about the, the way that the Seattle Design Festival is. It's really, really inclusive. And, no translation really appreciate needed. that. Yes. The ninth annual Seattle Design Festival, featuring over 100 events and installations, will be held August 16th through 25th. The festival kicks off with the opening party at JW Architects in the International District, Friday, August 16th. The festival ends with the block party in a new location, Lake Union Park, August 24th and 25th. The full schedule can be found at designinpublic.org. Fear of living offline. This is spring 2018. More than half of teens wanted to see if they were receiving likes and comments, and more than a third wanted to see if their friends were getting together without them. Generation has been guided by social media and digital technology their entire lives. As a result, they routinely fret about how digital lives and identities impact their relationships with others, IRL. Fear of living offline. That is horrifying. Oh man, I should just never Google things. 16 clever FOMO marketing examples to boost your sales. Uh, marketing demonials just got a whole lot easier. Says not millennials. Says not millennials. Says money hungry. <laughs> yeah. Says money hungry baby boomers <laughs> looking to cash in. <laughs> this is Charles. And this is Rachel. From BNV Radio. This is Design Goggles. Something I hear often is how through technology, we are connected to each other more than ever. Through our phones and social media, it seems like we can keep tabs on anyone, anywhere. Yet at the same time, a bunch of research shows that people are socializing less than ever before, either with family or friends, and especially among today's college students. In Seattle, a city known for its challenging social scene, the social freeze, if you will, might be even more noticeable. One way in which technology has actually fostered community is through organized events, and there are more than ever in cities today. It seems like there's a special meetup group for any interest, yet with so many events to choose from, many of us might click interested and then stay home to binge Netflix anyway. We have access to more gatherings than ever before, yet statistics show that we aren't actually attending. Has social media and technology really helped us to be more socially connected? Or is community, at least the in-person kind, a thing of the past? What does it mean for the design of the community spaces of the future? Better yet, will there be community spaces in the future? 
To help us answer that question and more, we're excited to have with us Jordan Lyon, community engagement producer at The Evergrey, a digital news publication here in Seattle. Jordan, thanks for making time to sit and chat with us. Oh, thank you for having me. Are you native Seattleite? I think you are. More or less. I'm uh, born and raised Tacoma. Mm. So that questionable city down south, which the aroma is getting better day by day. And sadly <laughs> enough, up Tacoma. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And sadly enough, in 2019, it's getting cool, hip and happening. That's actually what I was about to ask you. I've yeah, been I, reading this, that the art scene is a thing, yep. a big thing. And Tacoma is kind of like in the back of my mind. It's like, oh, maybe because there's a train line that Amtrak is working on for quick commuting. And like, that is a a real option now. Oh yeah. When the light rail connects down there, it's mm-hmm. a whole different environment with the whole South Puget Sound connected. Mm-hmm. Um, well, obviously not quite Olympia, but I think what's happened quite a bit is this displacement of creatives from Seattle yeah. down there. It's cheaper to open a restaurant if you're a chef, cheaper as a cocktail lover or kind of a heady bartender mm-hmm. to make really unique kind of drinks and do that in a setting that people still have money down there. And then you look at displacement of the ability to afford a house yeah. and moving down there for all of that. And so, and there's some great artist programs, art neighborhoods. Sixth Ave is hip and happening. Pacific Avenues has such a history there. And then University of Washington Tacoma coming in has really tr- changed what downtown is. Hmm. Are so, people yeah. afraid of the Brooklynization of Tacoma or are people welcoming it down there? Brooklynization, I've never heard that. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think um, in general, they are terrified. <laughs> it's going to be, if you own a house, you're happy. You're right. going to watch the value go up. Right. But for the most part, you're going to see a lot of changes happen rapidly. Look at what Seattle's dealing with right now. Just when I was walking down this street, someone was getting very mad because a homeless guy asked for money. And he's saying, this neighborhood wasn't like this 15 years oh, ago. Geez. And so how long until a neighborhood like Proctor, which is just adorable, down in Tacoma, ends up having the same issues? And so once industry starts moving down there because they realize that the university, a great opportunity for employment, affordable housing, schools are great. So it's a great place to bring people to work there. You're going to start to see a lot of changes. And I think that a lot of it comes good. A lot of it comes bad. But yeah, that's Tacoma. I'm definitely planning a couple trips down there to to do some prospecting. Well, I, will, I will give you some questionable spots. Oh, uh, please do. Please some do. prospecting. <laughs> Absolutely. Just go down there and... You know, look for ore. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> what, do you, what do prospectors do? Do you know McMinimums? Just open a huge thing down there. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I didn't know that. Did they? Oh, yeah. And wow. it's like this old building that they've turned into multiple restaurants. Multiple, mm-hmm. It's like oh, right wow. in the heart of downtown. Wow, wow, wow. And so even as a local, well. obviously, they want people to come and, and spending money in the hotels and everything. Right. Even as a local you are getting down there and you're experiencing going to one place and just going from bar to bar you can bring a drink there and it's supposed to be pretty cool this started in oregon right yes i believe yeah. so there's, there's another one in washington kind of more west or east yeah. I don't know they're exactly. all over the place in oregon and yeah it's it's fun it's very experiential yes. right it's a great gathering around. you yeah. just you're gonna sleep there yep Go to a movie there. <laughs> go to three or four different bars there. <laughs> so you uh, you work for the Evergrey now. I do, and uh, you have a lot of background in community engagement. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I find really interesting about the Evergrey is that even though it's a publication, it's very very active. It's not passive. The Evergrey doesn't just put content out there. They sponsor events of all different kinds, and they foster conversation. A lot of that engagement is done online. It's a digital publication. And one of the reasons I thought you would be a good guest for this particular subject is there's sort of this irony about online engagement in that you have this biggest menu ever of events you can attend and the nature of the online engagement almost encourages you not to. It encourages you to click you're interested in said event and then makes it very, very easy for you to not go. And you have a ton of experience starting events and getting people to come through Facebook and Meetup and the Evergrey site. 
What are some of the challenges that you've faced in putting events together in that way? It's funny, as you're talking about, the first thing that comes to my mind is this idea that technology really pushes convenience and safety. It's the convenience of everything from working from home or ordering my groceries now or swiping behind a screen instead of asking someone out or sending a message there or whatever it is. And so that safety and that convenience ends up building inside. So some of those moments of vulnerable growth that we naturally have by interacting with other humans is happening less. And so you say people are not going to as many events because they're like, oh, this looks fun and everything, but oh, I'm going to have to put pants on for this. <laughs> yeah, you know? bummer. Yes, <laughs> there goes me trying to get into whatever HBO is sharing these days or whatever, you mm -hmm. know, it's, it's that shift there. So I would say overall that I think there is such a deep challenge with how people are trying to come out and it is what it is with human nature being what it is. But with the tools available, I think people care more about who they're doing things with than what they're doing. Mm. And so I think it's a struggle for people to feel comfortable in situations where they, they don't know people. And so as you're promoting events, people will sign up for maybe a lecture more, something that's mm. interesting for them or a movie potentially, unless it's something that's drinking and that might be a whole nother rabbit hole. I think in general, it's just tough to get people out and about. And then once you get people kind of going and building relationships with people at these experiences, things start taking over where they want to go back. They want to go hang out with people more. But until that happens, it's a deep challenge for getting people to take that next step using an online tool. One of the rules that Meetup says the best way to get people to use your platform more and come out to events is keep it specific. So it's kind of like you're a niche and then keep it consistent. And so it's not like this is for movie lovers. And then we're going to have it on the 5th this month and then the 7th next month. It's saying, okay, let's have it on the second Tuesday. We're just for people that love 80s movies and that's it. Mm -hmm. And you get the same people coming and, and that starts to build a sense of consistency, a reputation. And then that following where you start to get critical mass. And then you've got enough people enjoying it. I was like, oh yeah, this is great. And you can start sharing back pictures and then you can obviously get some FOMO going on. <laughs> and FOMO is actually one, probably one of the strongest motivators of anything online. And so, mm -hmm. so, so that might be a little trick in the meetup world to start to get people out and enjoying your events. Mm -hmm. Before you worked for the Evergrey, you had a startup that had similar goals called Foundation. Mm -hmm. How did that experience prepare you to do what you do now? By not giving a shiz. <laughs> I think in general, building a business that's such an extension of your passions and what you care about is going to be deeply vulnerable. And doing it enough where you start to almost not give a shiz and be able to experiment enough and fail and be comfortable doing that. I look back at foundation and I felt that I, I had an answer before I had a question and I didn't quite know what I was doing. The whole goal behind it was building relationships through different gatherings around passions. It was trying to find a local chef to do a cooking class, a bartender for cocktail classes or a scientist for science nights and feeling that the first goal was getting similarly interested people in an environment where they could experience something together and then continued those shared experiences over time. But it had success. It, it didn't quite get to the vision that I always had for it, which was originally building an actual community space and then shifted into partnering with different venues throughout Seattle and hosting gatherings throughout the week. And so while it never quite got there, it set me up for a deep understanding of how gatherings can facilitate connection. And I only found that through trial and error. Like, God, did I mess up a lot? There's quite a few things that did not go well. I remember the first time I had a gathering, I had people do goofy charades. There's like 15 strangers. And I was like, okay, how can we break through this kind of barrier where people put out their guards? People are pulling out their phone right away. Okay, how can we really get some excitement going? Okay, let's make people do charades. And I remember there was a woman that was kind of introverted and she had to show how to change a tire. 
And she was just <laughs> speechless for like five seconds. I was like, how can we help you? And it was like, oh my God, I felt horrible. This was a pickling yeah. class. This was Seattle, Seattle Pickle Company. And we're gonna we're learning how to make pickles. And so everybody gets to take home a jar of pickles. And so everybody loves, obviously, pickles there. Okay, I was like, ooh, I'm going to make 15 friends out of this. We're going to start it with charades. And, uh, <laughs> it turns out you made 14 <laughs> friends and one enemy. No, 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 I made 15 enemies. Uh, <laughs> not, not even her. Oh, no, she, she, was, like, she was like an extra enemy. Um, and uh, I, I actually don't know of a single relationship from that event move forward, and I've seen any of them again. And I don't blame them. It actually reminds me of a story of what Barack Obama told about his first community event that he ever put together when he was a community organizer. <laughs> organizer where like two people came and he just like and he was just like I don't yeah. know what I'm doing. <laughs> Did I understand you correctly that your goal was to end up maybe opening a community space that then all these events would have an app mm -hmm. and then that didn't work out? So I started with that vision. It's actually a blending of technology space and experiences. Uh -huh. And there was this platform where you could vote on different events that would happen there, uh -huh. communicate with other people, and it was all built in in a space where you'd have a kitchen for cooking classes, a larger hall, another room for other types of classes. And so it was always around learning passions, but in a space. And I spent two months trying to raise millions of dollars, and I don't blame anyone for not giving money <laughs> to this question. Well, so, that. I mean, the reason <laughs> I'm wondering is that it seems like I don't know. Like, what are your thoughts on why that didn't work? Because in the era of all these digital spaces, it's so easy for people to find their community. It's become very, very easy for people to find a community in a digital space where they can come together and do their thing with yep. their particular niche, right? And because that's so easy, it's making it a lot harder for people to come together in physical spaces, yes. right? Because it's so easy to have digital connections, geography is a bigger deal. It's going to take a whole lot more to get somebody to travel a mile somewhere to meet with people that share a passion than it used to be, right? Because they might be on their couch and communicate with these people from their couch. How do you get over that hurdle of getting people to actually move further than their own digitally connected spaces into a physical space? Is there some magic circumference of distance that people are willing to traverse that probably does change based on how easy public transportation and means and methods of getting there. Yeah. What have you found? I traveled 2,500 miles last week to see my closest friends. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I did just because we'd get together once a year. And the I will travel was anywhere. really high. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so I think right now, it's funny, I keep seeing the word FOMO here. It's like, like, like creating that expectation mm -hmm. where it's that you are missing out and it's important for you to be here. Mm -hmm. I do think that, especially in a city like this, people will stick by their neighborhoods. And that's mm -hmm. not a bad thing. I think that's a great thing. I think it's also great to explore other neighborhoods too because there's just so much to offer here. But I keep going back to this idea that we are human beings. We are meant to have real relationships. There is something meant to be with touch, with communication, face-to-face, -face, eye contact. And so while it is comfortable, once again, going back to the safety and convenience mm -hmm. to stay at home, I think eventually, hopefully it gets to a point where you get out there and you're like, okay, I got to do this. And you see it with people. They move here and maybe they're really gung-ho right away. And then they go through a lull like, okay, I got to mm -hmm. do this again. And that's where I see something like the Evergrade coming into play. Imagine a video of a great cocktail class. Like, okay, this looks fun. Look what's going on there. I'm going to go do this now. And so the storytelling aspect that utilizes digital platforms to then build that momentum that gets someone out in real life. And then from there moving forward, it's relationship development. Yeah. And so if I look back at another reason it failed, the foundation and what I was building, was I wasn't quite ready where I wanted to be yet. And every step along the way has been me learning to get those skills to be a little bit better. But I want to host a gathering like it would be someone going home and they feel welcomed right away. There are those things that can do that. 
you're intentional about a lot of little things. I had a class that went through the foundation era all the way into Evergrey. There's a class we've had called Crafting Libations. It's a cocktail class that we do once a month. Mm-hmm. It's now in its like fourth venue, actually five mm-hmm. venues we've been at. We've had probably 15 of them. And this last class, fewer people showed up because it was absinthe. I think absinthe terrified people on a Tuesday night. Yeah, who's going on Tuesday it night? Sounds to like poison. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, Gin, mezcal, sold out like that. Uh, absinthe is terrifying. And so it wasn't quite the same size of crowd, but was it the core crowd? And so we have about 10 to 12 regulars that have mm-hmm. come just about every time. And that is really cool to see. And what was unique about this one is there was a couple that had just moved to Seattle a week ago. They came into this gathering and they start sharing, we have not really felt a sense of belonging. We have not been able to find connections here. And that's what Seattle is. What was that that just came out the other day? It's 50% of Washingtonians don't want to talk to other people. Yeah, isn't that crazy? (laughs) That's just nuts to me. And for me, that's trying to cultivate a sense of belonging and connection here. It's like, wow, okay, how can I do this? I have to take my responsibility even greater. Like I'm waving to people on the street. I go through it for a run. I'm like, how you doing? (laughs) Creeping people out. Yeah, you're definitely Um, creeping people out. So we're talking about FOMO, right? But what about fear of engagement? Mm -hmm. Oh, you're talking about FOLO? Fear of living offline? Have you heard of that one? No, No. No, I just... Yeah. Well, we can talk about that later, but I, mean, <laughs> but I just mean fear of engaging with people, like an yeah. F-E-A. <laughs> We're just going to make up all the acronyms tonight. I feel like a lot of what you're saying is that once people get over the inertia, then you're good. Like yeah. you start to form those connections. You are maybe reminded or finding it for the first time that you like human engagement in person. It's, but then it, yeah. from there, you're good. One of the interesting right? things you were onto was that you saw the value in a dedicated community space mm-hmm. yes. and that the space can be a draw because a space isn't a person. It isn't scary. If there's a space like an easy one is like Benaroya Hall. If I know somebody's going to be at Benaroya Hall, it makes me much more likely to go out and see that thing because yep. I love that space. And so whoever's playing there, I'm like, oh, man, that's just an extra reason. But does that have to do with the, a pre-vetting of that space? Or you're like, OK, a little so bit. whoever's going to be there had to pass some sort of A little test. bit. But another example would be the Grey Pants space. Even just photos of that space, though, drew me to go there in the first place and drew me to return again and again. Even if I wasn't half interested in the subject, Mm -hmm. I'd be like, oh, but yeah, I always love hanging out there. And that's not scary because the space can't make me feel uncomfortable. Quite the opposite. And from the beginning, you were looking for funding to build that dedicated space that would draw people in. And I saw you did an event recently at... Oh, you're going to have to help me with the name. It was a co-working space. We talked about it before. Makers or The Collective? The Collective, yes. So, yes. Which was a space designed for that purpose. Yes. And so I guess the beginning question of this whole line of questioning is, do you think that space is more enticing regardless of what the subject is per event? Absolutely. When I was even earlier talking about how I have gotten better at hosting gatherings and helping build that culture of community there, I mean, that sense of like welcoming someone in my own house. A space can do that even stronger often. Like we connect with spaces deeply. Think of like walking through your school, like your elementary school. You're like, whoa, this takes me (laughs) to a place. And it's not just a nostalgia. It can be such intelligently designed where it can evoke feelings. And feelings of comfort and safety and connection can happen there. And so you think about the spaces that are around where that space, when you walk in there, it does have a certain feel to it. And I have to watch what I say, but because I actually want to say nice things and because I love the space, but also a little bit the first time I went in there, it felt a little bit like a fancy hotel lobby a little bit too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I always envisioned foundation, a slightly little bit less on the cool side, 
and a little bit on the homier side. Like a living room, residential yeah, side. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. And so you think about the community spaces that are being built today and large apartment complexes are failing miserably at them. They've got a whole floor of amenities plan and there's a pool table and a ping pong room, a bar area. We once did a cocktail class in a, one of those rooms in one of the nice brand new apartment complexes down in South Lake Union. And we asked everyone who came, it sold out like that. Everyone in the apartment complex, like, hey, meet your neighbors. This is going to be great. And they come out and they actually had never used the space. Mm-hmm. It was designed to look great and maybe sell like, ooh, I'm going to imagine this, but nobody actually uses it. And so it didn't quite create that. But now you look at places like We Live that's about to open up in Seattle. And they, A, have the perspective and also the money to build data-driven, user-centric experience designs where they are going to build those spaces right probably by trial and error, but they will get there. You basically have a cubby hole for your room, have an open space where you get to share it with great people. And that potentially has the ability to build a deep sense of belonging. And that might be cool. What I'm thinking about is maybe chicken and egg with community spaces and community. So we think about that a lot. Like what can you do to a space? What about a space makes it so that it would foster community, right? My mind keeps going to things that are, seem kind of gross, like what makes bacteria grow? Like, is it warm <laughs> and comfortable? Like right. the conditions have to be appropriate. Yeah. How do you make that happen? I used to make an analogy that on a beach where the waves come in and out and only oh, specific yeah. organisms called? can uh, live in that zone, yeah. that yeah. third places or community spaces are like that zone. Yes. Yeah. It has to be this particular exact little uh, set of conditions. You know, for instance, I met you. I was at an Evergrey event at Optimism. Optimism, yes. Which I feel like as a space, and I'm a fan of that space, but there are pros and cons, both equal to having a community event there. So I'd be interested to hear what your take on a space like that, which is a large, tall ceiling, 30-foot ceilings. It's a brewery, long, shared tables, loud, lots of space. Is what keeps you coming back to a space Like if you think of successful community spaces, is the reason that people keep going back to those because literally of the architecture of the space? Or is it because there is a community? Like if you know that if you attend this event, maybe you're feeling questionable. Like, I don't know, am I gonna like these people? I don't, you know, am I really interested in this topic? Maybe I wanna try a new thing. You're probably more likely to attend it if it's in a space where you think there might be other people. There's maybe an existing community Mm-hmm. People you maybe already know, or mm-hmm. you know you feel comfortable in the yes. space. You feel uncomfortable there. So you're too. reducing the friction yes. to attending an event and, yep. and stepping out into an area that might scare you a little or something. It's interesting because it's a combination of both. It is the people and the sense of community and the power of a space. But I think you're right when there are gatherings hosted in a restaurant I've been to versus a brand new restaurant. And there also is realized that subset of people that would be like, I want to go to the new restaurant because I want to go check that out. So that's a whole nother added element. But for the most part, when we are searching for that comfort feeling, that safety, that belonging, having some a setting that we already feel comfort in. What'd you find, by the way? What is it? It's ecotone. Ecotone. So it's the region of transition between two biological communities. Ah. So a tidal zone. A tide pool, yes, because a lot of animals sometimes get trapped in that as the tide goes out, right? But so things like estuaries, edges of forests, anywhere where you have two habitats that meet mm-hmm. each other that are different, that area is so rich because you have the crossing of paths between people that usually live in this habitat, animals, people, and animals, <laughs> right. you know, same thing. I <laughs> you like know, this rabbit you know, hole you're going and, and so <laughs> when you come together, yeah. there is actually this much richer zone where a lot of interesting things happen. There you go. Explosion of diversity. Zone. You've just got so many unique yeah. things that like, 
were perfect in their element. And yeah. that's why they evolved that way. Mm-hmm. That did, then hits this, and it's yeah. just like this building of a beautiful mountain. So. Yeah. And because it's a transitional zone, the organisms that live in those zones have to be a little bit more adaptive because things change a whole lot more in those zones than they do when you're in the separate zones. So it's a more challenging environment. So, Organisms can develop more skills. Yes, and they develop the skill of adaptability, mm-hmm. which that is something unique there as well. Yeah. When you're looking for a space, do you just do it completely by feel? Or are you like, oh, the pros of this space are this? How do you pick the right space for the right event? Oh, I'm viewing this whole conversation as as my personal <laughs> catalyst to start to pay attention <laughs> to the spaces that I actually use. Are they willing to donate the space for free? Yes. Bingo. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, I totally understand. Um, I'm trying to build a community with bootstrapped budgets. Oh, if, if, if only I could get the deep investment where I could really experiment. But I do think about some places that have had more success than others. And you think of when you walk into something that's all wood, homey. I think of this space that we just had a nice gathering at last Wednesday called Makers Workspaces. And it feels homey going in there. And that's designed that way. It's intentional. And that's somewhere you want to come back to. You want to experience it. You look at some of the other community spaces and they need to be adapted a bunch. What are your favorite bars? Do you like the dim lit ones at certain hours? Do you like the restaurant that's wide open, that patio that you just love and you just can't wait to go back to? Those are feelings that they evoke that create a sense of belonging and oftentimes also facilitate that sense of connection right after that. What's a space where you would be comfortable talking to your neighbor in and building a relationship with them? Is it cozied up to the bar? That was, that was my time in Tacoma, basically. Closing okay, up with the bar making friends. Oh, is Just that? barely on their property. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Right, right there. On the driveway yeah. apron. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm kidding. Right, right where you want to be safe and, <laughs> and comfortable. What spaces have made for the most successful events you've had so far? This one I just mentioned, Maker's Workspace, where we had this transformative event where it was first part was a panel discussion and then transformed into a dinner. And so you had 50 neighbors come together and break bread around an issue, and it went amazing. And it was a really cool, big enough space, but still homey enough where you could have this kind of transformational evening. So that was great. An amazing cocktail class place was Brimmer and Heel Tap. Brimmer and Heel Tap's great. It's cozy enough right there in that front room where we could lead a class, make one long table, and it felt like a sense of community right there. That was really great. Other gathering spots I've had, the collective has been amazing. We've done some goofy stuff there. We had a dating game show there that was just amazing. I saw some videos from that oh, that looked really <laughs> funny. It was it absurdly great. entertaining. Yeah. Yes, yes. Anytime you put me in front of a microphone, you've got three guys and three girls, and we get to help them fall in love. Oh, it was amazing. And the oh audience got to pair them up. It, it was fantastic. We need fantastic. to have a, like a throwback podcast and bring back on Sandy. We do. And have a dual thing. One of our coworkers, she used to host speed dating. Really? Uh, yeah. Oh, I want to hear all about that. Oh, there was <laughs> some amazing stories. Yeah. So I host a gathering called Speed Friend. But it's the opposite of speed dating. You're not going there trying to get laid. You're trying to lose friends. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> that's just <laughs> you go with ten of your friends to winnow it down to like six. Yeah, you're yeah. Like, I, I don't have time for all of you. Oh. I need to narrow that's it down. Funny. Wow, wow. Talk about all the difficult things you can't yeah. say. Talk about the most Seattle line ever. I've only got room in my life for five people. Okay, and I know fifteen. But I wish I only knew five, but I know fifteen. Okay? I feel like you discovered a niche market. Yes, yeah. no question. There is this. I, 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 was I feel like this is a great business idea. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I was pitching a foundation for the first time over a year ago. It was a small entrepreneurial support group called One Million Cups, and they're fantastic. And once I shared it, one guy stood up and he's like, I only have room for 12 people in my life. (laughs) And then he actually pulls out a stat and he's like, don't human beings only have the ability to know X amount of people? Oh, wow. And I was like, okay. And then now 50% of Washingtonians don't want to even talk to their neighbors. (laughs) 
And so, so that, that's where we live. Where? They'll just already know 12 people. I'm not yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Sorry, the quote is it. Where did your passion for community and for understanding community come from? This actually comes perfect timing. So I just got back from a weekend of fun with 12 of my closest friends from college. The starting college has been 12 years now in a row where we pick a city, pick a place. We've done water rafting to Vegas. And this year was New Orleans. And we come together and do this. And so it was two years ago. And I was working for a tech startup doing sales, not necessarily happy, and figuring out where I was going in life and what I wanted to do. And I came back from this weekend and I, I felt this weird feeling and I didn't know what it was necessarily. And I had throughout my mid-20s definitely felt isolation, depression, and, and it's, a, it's a tough time growing up and finding your place. And, and we're right in this generation in between technology being attached to our hand and us learning the internet for the first time and, and downloading porn slowly where it's like boof, 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 yeah. boof. And so, so we're now, every new generation coming up, that pixelation, every new generation now growing is just going to have technology part of their life. And so we were in between and I was like, I remember when I signed up for Facebook, you had to have a .edu address. Now, luckily I was in college at that time and so it just kind of worked out. But so I'd always kind of had this weird and, and troubled time figuring out what a sense of community was for me and what uh, a purpose and direction was. And so I came back from this weekend and I was like, what is this feeling of loss? And it was the first time I really could put a recognition to that sense of belonging. And I was like, with these men that I'd grown and changed with and had so many different experiences with, I felt a deep sense of love and belonging. I was like, why is this not here in my life? Like, what did I do wrong? And then it's just like, oh my God, past college, how do you make friends? Mostly at work. And at work half the time, you're going out drinking or something or have your past friends that kind of introduce you around. And then I just started looking from a anthropological kind of sense of what social systems used to be around that aren't anymore. You look at religion. Religion, besides being kind of crazy in my opinion, and that's another rabbit hole, to help people find a real sense of belonging. Right. Power of rituals. That is, yeah, that's the interesting connection that people dismiss religion so easily. Yeah. And the community that came built in to society is missing. And it's been replaced by technology. But technology, frankly, is doing a not good job of making communities. It's making these like false, shallow communities that lead nowhere. It's like, oh, you found this community of like a thousand people that like the exact same thing you do. So you all read the same articles online. I don't yep. think that's, and that's necessarily it. That's true. the depth of that community. That might be the depth of some of those communities. Mm -hmm. But I really do think that there are communities that exist online in digital spaces that are incredibly important to people and that might be the best communities that they have. Are they going to be the godparents of their children? Are well, they going to be there for just, births and deaths and weddings and the true high joys not. and low maybe sorrows not, but, of but, life? But a lot of times there are communities that exist that provide people with engagement with people that they don't have an alternative in real life. I just don't want to discount yeah. the fact that there are some really positive communities that have no physical connection anywhere that are providing really, really good I mean, I was going to say human interaction, but I was thinking that you guys were going to argue with me about it. But, like, <laughs> but it is still human interaction, even if it's not in person. I will argue with you, but only with a question. Because I just feel that we need, we evolved, we are who we are, searching for that deep connection and something mm -hmm. real. And I had a similar view. When I saw the internet, I was like, oh my God, we won't even have a Cold War. We can see the perspective of someone else all over the world. We're going to see all these and we're just going to start to integrate all these amazing diverse perspectives. But like you're talking about, Charles, you can just hone in and then you just have mirrors reflecting what you want to hear. Tunnel vision where someone kind of contradicts that leads to you challenging who I am. Oh my God, what's going on? That's fearful. And so my question is like, what is one of those communities online that is healthy that maybe we could look at and say, this is something to be replicated? 
this is someone doing it right? Or how could we maybe even look at that and say, let's take it to the next level and let's also have that and relationships in real life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. I don't mean that digital interaction is better. Human interaction is probably always better for most people, even people that aren't very comfortable with human interaction. If they can figure out how to do it, humans need other humans, right? And they actually need them in person. Mm -hmm. Yes, I totally agree with all that. I only was touching on the fact that I think there are a lot of people that haven't been able to find their own people necessarily close enough to them or wherever they are physically located to find their communities. And so that's one of the things that the digital world has provided is has created this opportunity for people to find their community of people who think like them. They might not have physical access to, at least at the start, and maybe we can hope that eventually they'll forge these connections digitally and maybe someday they will be able to geographically relocate and have human-to-human in-person connections rather than only digital. So, I, yeah, I'm not condemning or <laughs> at all saying that we shouldn't come together as humans. I just think that there is definitely a value for creating communities that can maybe evolve. There was a science fiction story written in the 1800s, late 1800s, that was considered one of the first versions of the Internet. In the late 1800s, there was a story written, I forget who wrote it. Everyone lived far underground in caves and everyone communicated by phone. And never saw another human being, ever. Uh And the story revolves around this guy and this girl somewhere else on a phone. And they talk and they make a plan to try to meet. And it's about the man essentially digging through the caves to find the person that he's been interacting with. And it was incredibly prescient in a weird, weird way. And that, obviously, the metaphor is clear. It's like we're building ourselves into caves. And the amount of engagement we have is of a very limited type. I mean, it could get, as technology progresses, I don't want to like completely put this in a box. As technology progresses, it could get insanely real. You could put on a VR helmet and be as present as anybody else in a space. Or we're in metaphorical caves. And people that are closer to the norm of social interaction or tastes or preferences and hobbies and everything, they find their community more easily. And people that normally would have just been loners don't have to be loners anymore. They can find their community digitally. And then it goes back to that question of inertia. So what does it take for you now that you've found this person that they're not even in the same city as you? But now that you know that you have somebody that is like exactly believes in all the same stuff that you do and is super excited about all the same stuff that you are. How do you get over that inertia that you then actually make that geographical space between you smaller? Mm-hmm. Now we're talking. And this was my thought was imagine you're a transgender boy in rural America right now. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. don't feel that you have anyone who you can relate right. to. And you feel isolated to such a deep sense that this online tool, whatever it is, for the first time helps you find a sense of who you are and where you belong. And that no question, that leads to a transformation overall in probably moving probably getting to a whole nother place. But for that person, that's such a deeply empowering tool that needs to be available. And I feel bad for everyone that didn't have that. And they just went their whole life lost in trying to assimilate their whole being into what was socially accepted. Because before it would be like, well, I could leave and go somewhere. Mm -hmm. But you were basically deciding to leave and go on an endless journey to find something. It basically, I guess it reduces the inertia because you can decide upon a destination because you can forge that connection ahead of time. And then be like, all right, 
let's do this. I'm moving to wherever. Yeah. It lowers the barrier of right. the initial connection. Right. And yeah. you can build relationships. You know, mm-hmm. we're human beings. Like, there are deep relationships that happen online. Yeah. Some are bad. You know, you can imagine like a old creepy guy convincing a six-year-old girl that he's a whatever, you know, yeah. and then, then she goes across the country and then we don't even want to talk about where that like, goes. And then it's like, dun Bad things happen on the internet. <laughs> no, no, that was, that, was not the point. that was not the point. Bad things not the point. happen <laughs> the, the point was the opposite. The point was true human connection was happening. No, absolutely. But it wasn't necessarily in the, yeah, yeah, never mind. <laughs> But um, but but thank you for that creepy story. You're, I should say you're welcome <laughs> for that creepy story. Yes, yes. No, no, no. Well, that, I mean, in a way, to bring it full circle, that's one of the things I think is very unique about what the Evergrey has done in bringing you on board is that it is a digital publication, a digital community that is having real in real life events where the very same people who connect online can connect in the real world. And of course, that's going to be bumpy at first, but I am incredibly optimistic as the possibilities of what comes from that. Yeah. And the Evergrey, one thing the Evergrey is very good at is fostering communication between people that don't agree on stuff. Yeah. And have you ever had any events where it's set up as a debate? We haven't. And we've talked about having opportunities like this, even this panel discussion that we had last Wednesday after the Q&A portion opens up to the floor. And it got a little heated a little bit because we're talking about cultivating belonging and race came up. And it is a such a tough subject to talk about, but such a necessary topic. And having this forum where people are sharing their whys behind fears of allowing white culture into strong entrepreneurial support groups for people of color and the fears behind that. And that is an important conversation to have in the sense that exclusivity can be important for the tightest, safest group of community. And like that's tight unit group that needs to happen there. And this is a small side tangent, but just to kind of share how I view belonging right now. First, you find belonging in yourself. And it might be that transgender boy figuring out who they are and, and understanding their body and just what they are. And then the next sense of belonging is with your tightest group. It could be your family. It's mostly more homogenous. It's something with similar values. And then there's belonging in the deeper sense, in the deeper sense of a community, a city. And that's often like bridging these smaller communities and all of that. And so when a white woman asks, why don't I feel accepted to a entrepreneurial group that's around people of color? The answer is, it's not a place for you to be accepted necessarily. This is a place for you to celebrate them doing that and that empowerment. And I view the Evergrey in this realm of, okay, how can we funnel people to find their small communities? How can we empower those communities? And then how can we be a bridge between communities? So that's where I see this place where the Evergrey can be. So the Evergrey having events where we can foster discussion. That is exactly where I want to see us going in being that bridge. It's that I, and this is only through trial and error and me making almost bad mistakes as the woman that had to change a tire with no props in front (laughs) of a bunch of strangers, is I, as a white man and the privilege that comes with it, can never create a quality community gathering for a community that I don't identify with. In two weeks, we're hosting a pride party. And as much as we want to do as an organization, I wouldn't begin to do anything until I found the right partners from the LGBTQ plus community of Seattle to do it with me. And that's an important thing to realize. And I think that's actually one of the biggest problems we've always had with white savior complex and even people trying to do good things from good intent. But the context and the impact is not there. And so that's something where I see the Evergrey being able to transcend to be in this place where we can bridge things. We can be at the core and say, we are the local journalism that helps you understand the news and the stories of what's happening in communities. And now we're gonna help gatherings, not for you or you, but for us to share ourselves. 
And that might be where I'm going. End of rant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that was great. And Good rant. one of the things that you brought up sort of in a sideways sort of way is authenticity. Mm-hmm. You recognize in that moment, okay, I'm not being fully authentic. If I'm going to pretend I'm an expert on how to hold this pride event. But it's because you step out from the other side of Facebook or a phone or meetup.com yep. and you're waving your hand. Hi, I am who I say I am. And inviting others to do the same, yep. which is brave. It's as brave to say I'm not this as it is to say what you are. Yeah. And even that authenticity coming out in real life, and this is something we've been kind of been flirting with in most of this discussion, it's the courage to be vulnerable. It's that moment where we can say and we can be at a place where you share yourself and you want to be in the room to connect. And it's like, oh, I, you know, I, I don't want to go out and do that thing. I just want to stay at home. And if we can create that culture where we celebrate enough people sharing it, we celebrate enough of the connections happening because of that, people will naturally want to do start doing that. And that's what's missing right now. What's happening is you are celebrating someone taking a selfie out on the beach because I'm all outdoorsy instead of <laughs> celebrating like a vulnerable moment of connection. Right. And if that shifts and that's what I want to be and that's my new target, then that's something that's really cool that we can start to change the freaking build with. <laughs> awesome. Great with the cursing. That's, <laughs> yes. And that curse is a perfect note to end on. Yes, yes. <laughs> Jordan, thank you very much for coming and chatting yes, with us. Yes, absolutely. It's a ton of fun. Thank you for listening. And if you liked what you heard, uh, give us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Podcast. That would be awesome. And check us out on Design Goggles Podcast on Instagram and Design Goggles on Facebook and Twitter. Also, check out our blog on boardandvellum.com. There's always super cool stuff being posted there. And as always, please stop on by Board and Vellum in Seattle anytime for a chat with us. We would love to have you. Thank you again, and we will see you all in a few weeks.